0: How did they do it? How
1: did they do it?
0: How did they do it?
1: You're listening to the How Did They Do It podcast with Kostas Panayoto. Hi, and welcome to the How Did They Do It podcast, where you can join me in conversations with inspirational individuals who have transformed their lives to find their own freedom. And in today's episode, I have a conversation with the Shona Heroes, also known as the Bionic Human. Now, when I uh, interviewed Shona a few weeks ago and I wrote a blog about our interview, the title of the blog was um, We Are Robots, Not Humans. And this is not a direct quote from uh, Shona herself. This is rather the literal words of uh, her line manager at the time, which were spoken to her when she was being reprimanded after having made a mistake at work. Working for a highly competitive law firm, Shona was told that people in her position are not allowed to make mistakes And just like robots, it is expected that they always provide a flawless performance. Red flag, red flag. So Shona had sent an email to the wrong person after an exhausting 80 hour work week. The email didn't contain any confidential information, but she was still suspended and reprimanded because it could have. And this was not the only incident during her low career. She was constantly made to feel that she shouldn't be too ambitious. Women should be at home raising children instead of competing with men at the workplace. After a serious cycling accident which forced her to work part-time, she was then told she shouldn't expect any sympathy, she was still expected to get as much work done as a full-time member of staff in her part-time hours. She has since turned her lo- life around. She has given up her job, she started her own coaching business. She runs her own gym, writes books and gives public talks. But the burnout she experienced after years at a thankless, pressured and toxic work environment, this is not something she's likely to forget. So in the interview I conducted with uh, Shona, we find out what made her the bionic woman. And her story is one of strength, determination and a personal mindset, which has turned from negative in the past to unrelentingly positive in the present. She was born premature. Her dad was told by a consultant that there's no hope for her. As a result of being prematurely born, she had a hole in her heart and surgery to fix his life-threatening issue. She suffered from severe burnout at work, had a life-changing cycling accident She's a cancer survivor as well, yet she's here to tell us her story and how she turned her life around through relentlessly working on her mindset. Good morning Shona, how are you? Good
0: morning, yeah, really good, thanks Costas. how are you?
1: I'm fine, thank you very much and lovely to have you here, so welcome to the Vision to Action uh, group. Um, and, and um, I understand you're actually just coming from a teaching session. Can you tell us a bit more what you have been teaching? Well, you're sweating a bit. so <laughs> No, well, I'm
0: not sweating. More
1: that. exercise.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I teach a circuit training class on a Saturday morning. Um, yeah. and we just make it fun. So we were using the hula hoop this morning, wow. um, balance beams. Just lots of different things. Just um, We had some children as well who came along this morning, so they were putting all the adults to shame by being really good at the hula hoop, whereas the rest of us couldn't keep it up. But, um, yeah, I do I do that a few times a week, and I've recently started doing it on a Saturday morning just to open it up to more people. So that's good fun. Nice day yeah. for it. It's a beautiful, sunny day out there today.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it's lovely here in Wales as well. Hula hoop, that's, I mean, I've never done a hula hoop myself, but, you know, who was that singer? It was... Um, a few years ago it was on the queen's um anniversary kind of
0: oh, oh, yeah no, grace, I jones, that.
1: grace jones yeah, and she a few was, it. Gigs. was singing while she was hula yeah. hooping throughout the song i've never seen anything like that that's amazing well,
0: I, I started doing it because i had a client about three years ago and she was 70 and she lost loads of inches around her waist just by doing half an hour of hula hoop in a day and i loved Absolutely. that i thought that's brilliant and she was so energetic with it and she'd put a favorite song on and and do it to her favorite music um and she could do like she could walk back and forth with it and and twist up and down i can't do that I can keep it up now for about for about ten minutes fifteen minutes at a time but I'm literally stationary and I'm just
1: moving one way. If I try and go the other way, no
0: way. You cannot sing a song like Grace Johnson. No.
1: The woman is 60 years old, you know, like we should give her some credit for that.
0: Absolutely, definitely.
1: Incredible. Okay. So, I I mean, I introduced you for this um, interview as a bionic woman because I know that's the tag you can like to use yourself uh, from time to time or most of the time. And can you tell us a bit more? I mean, I know a little bit because you can find, you're quite open about It, it isn't on your website, your life events that led to you becoming the bionic woman. But for those of uh, of the viewers who are not um, knowing this story, can you tell us a little bit more about what led you to start using this um, this description?
0: Yeah, well, I guess in a nutshell, I've got more metal in me than <laughs> Um And I'm relentless, I don't give up. So if someone tells me that I can't do something... I'll find a way to do it. You know, I'll adapt whatever. And um, you know, my the first the first um, surgery I had was in my teens, and I had knee surgery. Um, so I've got uh, titanium pins in my knee. Um, when I was 32, I had a heart problem. I had actually had a mini stroke a few years earlier, and they didn't know what caused it. But I found out that I was born with a hole in my heart, um, and I've now got like a little metal device in my heart so that's more metal and then four and a half years ago while cycling to work one day i had a very very serious cycling accident and although i was wearing my helmet i my, my face must have taken the impact on a broken piece of curb and i broke all the bones around my orbital area on this side completely smashed my cheekbone into pieces um, um broke my jaw and fractured the base of my skull so i've had Total facial reconstructive surgery on this side, which has been rebuilt, Um, which, you know, on a plus side, I had a free facelift on the NHS when I was 42. So, you know, it's not all bad. Um, And I had a really good surgeon, you know, I mean, you can't see any scars. They're all around my hairline. Mm. But it was after that accident that changed me, but in a good way. So, I now look at that as a positive experience because I remember my consultant saying there would be certain things I'd never do again. Um, I've always been into competitive sports. You know, I swam for Wales as a, as a teen, as a child, and into my teens. Um, I've always been into my fitness. And he said there would be things I'd never be able to do. So, I wouldn't be able to run, um, nothing which involved any pressure around sort of my head or would get my blood pressure up, my heart rate up a certain amount. Um, And the first challenge I had was we'd had a skiing trip booked a few months after the accident. It was about 11 months after, but a lot of my time was was in recovery. And he said, you're going to have to cancel the skiing trip because there's no way you can fly. um, And the altitude will probably kill you because of the pressure I still had around my brain. Um, So I looked at alternative ways to do it because I'd never been skiing and I was really excited about it. And I bought all my kit. So we didn't fly we got the Eurostar down to the south of France um and then the way I had to deal with the altitude was to get off the ski lift at each level and then wait for the pressure to normalize again which was it was a bit of an inconvenience but mm-hmm. I loved it and despite never skiing before I did my first race at the end of that week so that and I, I didn't do very well but it was the fact that I did it so I realized the power of goal setting. I've never really done it before. And, you know, that feeling when you accomplish something that you really, you know, you set out to achieve and, yeah, you make it. For me, it was realistic. I knew I was going to do it. Um, And I wasn't going to let myself down by not doing that. So then the next goal was to try and get back on a bike because I really struggled despite being... You know, a very good and a very keen cyclist up until I had that accident where I'd go off and do, you know, velathons, which were hundred mile bike rides quite regularly, ride London, ride to work every day. I just had this barrier. I couldn't get back on a bike. Um, So I decided to enter a half Ironman event, which involved part of that was 56 miles on a bike. Um, And I did it for a very good charity. So... Yeah, I did that. And again, can't say I enjoyed the the bike element of it. My hands looked like I'd been on a white knuckle ride because I was holding on for dear life. But I did it, and that was the important thing. So that was something else i conquered. So that's kind of where the bionic woman as well comes from, because whatever somebody tells me I can't do, I'll just go and get it.
1: Mm. Wow, that's that's. I mean, that's more than most people <laughs> Will have gone through in their lifetime, isn't it? Sort of you, you, you've um, well,
0: gone. I mean, I see. It's just maybe you know. I look at things that everything happens for a reason, you know. And mm-hmm. a lot of stuff changed in my life after that accident. You know, my my career changed. Um, you know, just when everything was going right and my business was starting to pick up and do okay, um, I ended up getting diagnosed with uterine cancer two years ago. And had to have a total abdominal hysterectomy, which then pushed me straight into early menopause. Um, but I think because of what I'd been through before, I just stayed in in the moment. I just didn't worry about what ifs. And I, I really wasn't that stressed about it. I knew somehow in my own mind that that wasn't going to get me. Um, and within five weeks of having... A massive surgery like that I was back on the bike teaching classes
1: again so <laughs> that's amazing yeah uh, and that's something that I'm, I'm often talking about and um, and I'm quite open about my own story as well in terms of uh, I had a beauty business and then it went kind of um, a bit and um, it, it went a bit wrong because of the pandemic basically and um, you know uh, I had to close down and there was debt etc etc and, and sometimes you know you can you can let these things get to you and if you start seeing the massive failure or as as life is throwing all these curveballs to me and it's not fair. And look at the other people and they're doing well, why are are they like you and I'm not. But at the end of the day, and and that's what I understand from your story as well, it's about how you... It's about your own mindset, isn't it? How you look at it, how you decide to incorporate them in your own story and say, well, actually, you know, what that means for me is like, in your case, I'm a bionic woman, right? I'm going through all this and and I'm becoming becoming stronger and better. Uh, You know, and and, I have more, like you say more metal in my body than bones, literally.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, you know, if I'm totally honest, it wasn't always that easy. Mm -hmm. You know, I I, I did used to feel like a victim. I did used to, you know, feel sorry for myself. And it was a proper pity party all the time. You know, why me? What's going to happen next? One thing after another. Um, I was a very negative person. I couldn't be more different now. You know, I will look for positives in every day. I start my day off with positive affirmations. Um,
1: you were a negative person, like before I know you, obviously, because I will never describe you as a negative person.
0: No, I was. I, I was somebody I, I used to live in the past. I used to worry about what people thought of me. I'd worry about what was happening tomorrow, next week, next month. Seriously, I was, you know, part of that was down to the fact that, yeah, I was at one point point very burnt out in in the job that I was doing. And I felt, I think all of that had an impact on on me as a person, because I, I lost my self esteem, my confidence. Um, I see myself as a failure. I had very high expectations for myself. And having sort of really thought about that a lot over the few uh, over the last few years and working with similar people, so helping people who had the same kind of background as me, like very competitive growing up, you know, swimming for my country, you have to be the best to go on and do better and I was always made to feel like, you know, if you don't win, you don't, you know, you don't succeed. Um, you know, an example was, I remember going for my driving test when I was 17. And, you know, whether my dad meant it or realised what he was saying, as I was walking out the door, he said, just remember, when you take this test today, you cannot fail because no one in our family has ever failed their driving test first time. And that's <laughs> that's very Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of pressure on, a, on, a, on anyone, mm-hmm. never mind a 17-year-old girl. I don't think he really thought about... What he was saying to me. But, you know, I did pass. And I remember thinking, oh, thank God for that. You know, thank God I've passed my test. But actually now I'm like, well, so what if I didn't? So what if it took me five times? It's, it might have been down to circumstances on the day, or it doesn't mean that you're not good enough. And I think once you start letting go of that need to be perfect, the need to be the best or who's best all the time, life just can become a lot better. But it wasn't easy to do and it did take quite a long time but you know once I once I'm at ease with that and I'm able to you know at the end of the day reflect on my day and think okay so what have I done today was today a good day even when bad things have happened there's always something that you know good that will come out of that as well
1: yeah yeah and it brings us I think nicely to um, my next question which is about burnout and, and that was um, one of the things wasn't that led you to change your career um, and um, I guess there's a lot, a lot of people around, are there? And um, I know, I mean, I've, I've spoken to people as well who feel a little bit trapped in a certain job or in a certain career, and somehow they feel they need to put up with other people being a bit horrible to them, really, in the workplace, and not being nice and putting pressure on them, and make them feel they have to work extra hours just for the same salary in order to uh, to in order to succeed or even in order to survive, even in that job. And what would you say to these people, you know, who feel so burnt out and overwhelmed and we think, well, you know, the thing is, you know, um, I'm familiar with that, that's what I know and I don't know what what else is out there and I feel, you know, I don't feel confident enough to do anything else anyway.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's the thing, you know, when you're in that moment, you know, when when I was there, so this was back, going back 10 years ago, um my job just became toxic i'd enjoyed it for the first sort of 10 11 years that i was doing it i was a lawyer Um, and then we had a change of um of leadership and i had a daughter and i realized i wanted to be one of those mums who was sometimes at the school gate doing the doing the school drop off and pick up Um, and my request for flexible working was granted but my new line manager his view was very different and he said you know as the only woman in the team, don't think that you're going to get any special treatment. You've still got the same targets as the full timers. Now, if I was stronger and if I I mean, I should have known this because I I specialised in employment law. But. Mm. And I knew that there were things I could do, I could put in a grievance, I could go to HR and stuff. But I don't know, I think at that point in my life i I'd started to lose that self-esteem lose that confidence because he was telling me I wasn't good enough um and you don't and you start to believe it I made a mistake one day in work and I sent an email to the wrong person um and when again I, I reflect on this I'd just finished a nearly eighty hour week and I would come in six o'clock in the morning get home around half ten eleven at night I wasn't eating properly um I was starting to have panic attacks, but I didn't know what they were and thought I was dying the first time I had one. I also didn't talk to anyone about them because I felt like an idiot. Um, And I would just plow on all day, just drinking coffee after coffee after coffee, reaching for the unhealthy snacks in the vending machine. Um, And I wouldn't take my breaks because I thought if I take a break, I'm going to have to work later and I need to get home at some point. And then I'd panic about that. And I made this mistake by sending this email to the wrong person. Um, And, you know, nothing, there was nothing confidential on the email, but the way the company looked at it was that, well, there could have been. Fair enough. So I was suspended for a week, reported to my professional body for professional negligence. Um, So they had to carry out an investigation. It's a normal
1: practice. That sounds like a bit draconian to me.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know. I think they did take it a bit far, Mm -hmm. Um, but I just, I mean, this might sound a bit silly. My line manager didn't like me. He wanted me out. Um, I was an inconvenience in that team. You know, I wasn't, I I was the only woman in the team. He made it quite clear in conversations with me that his own wife had four children with him, um, and her job was to stay at home and look after the children and do the cooking, cleaning. And he didn't think that women should work you know paid work when when they had children that was his those are his values those were his beliefs Mm -hmm. um and I'm not gonna step in the way of his values I just feel very sorry for him if that's what he believes um and I got in the way of that and he didn't like it and I was quite headstrong at one point you know and I'm quite I'm quite stubborn um and I would plow through and I felt like I had to prove something but over a period of probably not very long, just a few months, you know, I, I I thought I was a failure. I thought I wasn't good enough. Um, and then he just cemented that. And when I got my my, when I went in for the disciplinary hearing, I got given a final written warning. And the one thing he said to me, and I'll never forget this, was you need to remember that in this world, we're not humans, we're robots and you can't make mistakes. And that then took me back to my childhood when, you know, my dad was a bit like that. My dad, you know, with the driving test thing. And and I kind of believed it. And just, and then that pressure on me to always get everything right was was just immense. And in the end, I ended up collapsing and, and being in hospital. So... Yes, I was struggling with burnout, and I and I did come back to work after a few weeks. I literally spent three weeks in bed after that, and I that's not like me at all. I, I had no energy, nothing, and I was upset all the time. Um, just felt very, very unwell. And when I came back, I realised that. I couldn't stay with that particular company anymore. So when somebody's thinking about changing you know, a job or career, you don't always have to change your career, but it might get to a point where that specific job you're doing, whether you raise grievances, whatever, or you might not even have that process in the company because you might work for a small business that doesn't have an HR team and stuff, If it's getting to a point where you don't have a say and you're just being expected to perform over and above all the time and not have any time for you, then maybe it's time to move on. Um, and you know, you there'll there'll be lots of um skills that you pick up as you carry on working that can transition into other roles. Um and think about the things that make you want to get out of bed in the morning. What what makes you happy to get out of bed on a Monday morning? And if you're dreading, if you get to a point on a Friday afternoon and then your weekends are ruined because you're dreading going into work on a Monday, something needs to change. Um, For me, it was my career in the end because I carried on in law for another six years, seven years after that. Um, But I'd lost my love for it. You know, whereas it was a job I had once absolutely loved and always thought I'd do when you feel like that you can easily fall out of love with that career and it's time to find something else and it's not easy Mm -hmm. and that's why you need to get some help and I wish I got some help sooner because it might not have taken me six nearly seven years to recover from it.
1: Yeah and um, I feel what you said I I had a conversation recently uh, with a friend who was struggling quite similarly with them and he, he was a job which, which looks okay on the outside and was a, he was a team leader and he was giving him, um, you know, it was paying well and it was, uh, of course, quite respectable, you know, working for, uh, for this organization. Yeah. Um, but he was really, I mean, if we looked at his values, he was more an, an outdoorsy type of person. He liked the outdoors, he liked to, to be at the front line, to meet with people, to speak to people directly and he was sat behind the computer most of the day. It couldn't be any more different. Yes, he, he ended up, he was not also not being valued by by his managers. He was being the whole time mm-hmm. made feel that he wasn't good enough. And it's, it's a pity isn't it, when people get trapped in that situation and almost think, well, there's no way out, that's what I should be doing. Because like you say, well, you actually do have a lot of skills. It's just that when you are in that position and, and people are talking down uh, at you the whole time, it, it just it just feels temporarily that you're not... You're not worth it, but that's that yeah. incredible, the truth, comment
0: it. It is, and I, I didn't know how to break the cycle. Um, and I, and I've, I've worked with a lot of people over the last year and a half, in particular, you know, with, with the whole pandemic. Um, and I think burnout's got worse in that time because we're now living in this kind of always-on culture um, and i i mean i've used my husband as an example of this a few times i was interviewed on the radio last week and he was he was sat next to me while i was on the interview and i thought he can't say anything cuz i'm live on on the radio right now but when you go back to say the 90s when do you remember when the blackberry was first, when, when the blackberry first came out you know the oh, first, yes. and a lot of companies thought oh that's a staff perk i'm going to give you a blackberry and a and a laptop but that might have seemed like a a bonus a benefit but it only encouraged people to then kind of think well actually even in my own time when i'm at home in the evening i've got to make sure i check my phone or check the laptop so every time it pings Mm -hmm. or dings um and that became quite quite toxic and i think again with with lockdown it's knowing when to shut off so now i run my own business i'm really strict with and disciplined with with myself so um I never work past 8pm, because if I work past 8pm, then I don't sleep very well, because I my brain's still alert and alive. So I've got a cut off. And I get people inviting me onto on to calls at half past eight. And I'm like, no, I can't do half past eight. So I'm, I, I have to have that boundary. Um, apart from doing a podcast with you today, generally, I will not work weekends. So if somebody wanted to book, you know, a session with me, they can't book in with me on a, on a Saturday or Sunday um, because for me, that's my family time and that's time for me to switch off and recharge my batteries. And then throughout the day, I follow a method which, and, and I kind of played around with it a bit, it's called the Pomodoro method. So you work consistently for, the, the, the method says to work for 25 minutes, then take a five minute break. It depends on when I'm most productive. So if we're, if we're first thing in the morning, that's when I'm most productive. But when I get up in the morning, before I even look at my laptop or my phone, I spend a good hour doing stuff for myself. I will get outside, take the dog for a walk. I'll do some meditations, do my affirmations, um, just do stuff for me, um, maybe even do a bit of journaling as well. And then I will check my, my day and start, start there. It's after i come back from that walk that I feel ready to own my day. Um, And by by doing that, I feel more productive around about 9am. So if I was going to work between, say, 9 and 10, I'll work for 45 minutes. Then I'll stop. And then I normally either just come outside... Have a quick five-minute walk, or I'll, I've got a number of playlists that I that I keep on my um, on my phone and on my Google thing, um, and I will just play a favourite song and just dance and sing around the kitchen like a loony. But <laughs> that's all I need to make me recharge. I've come away from my from my computer or doing whatever I'm doing, um, and and I'm ready to go again. So I can work in in kind of forty-five minute stages. Later on in the afternoon. I'm more down to 25 minutes because that's when I'm like sort of having that kind of lull time. But by doing that, I honestly get much more done and much more productive, much more energized, more focused. Um, and it. I think yeah. for anyone to do that, but my, my husband, he's opposite and he will sit at his desk. He will sit there all day. He will take call after call, be on zoom calls, teams calls, whatever. He his lunch at his desk. And then he will come and sit down with us for you know for an hour or two in the evening and and we'll watch some tv and then his phone will go at about 11 o'clock at night and he'll hear his work phone like ping and his computer ding he'll have to then go and check it and 99 percent of the time he's like oh you know something's gone wrong in work i've got to deal with this problem now and then he doesn't sleep all night and then we end up having an argument because he gets snappy with me because i've told him not to check it and my point there is if, if he was working in the office, which he was before lockdown, and now he's more kind of 50-50, he wouldn't have seen that email or that message until the next day. And this is what I mean by it's always on. Yeah. People are not switching yeah. off. They're not like they're, they're, a lot of people now are working from home and they're working their, their workspace is also their relaxation space. And it's just mm-hmm. finding out how to break that.
1: I fully agree with that. It's a whole culture, isn't it? It's, and that culture is driven by the sometimes by the company itself. Because, like you rightfully say, presumably in the previous times when your husband was uh, office based, Emre wouldn't have dared to call him at eleven pm or whatever at home to say because they, they would then respect the boundary. But now it's almost like, well, you work from home, and there's all. Perhaps an assumption as well from home that, you know, you're not working as hard anyway because you're working yeah. at home, so you might as well be doing things the whole day because I know that uh, you're taking the mic a little bit because you're working from home. There seems to be a little bit of that there, which I think is yeah. totally wrong because all the studies to show uh, actually productivity is going up when you work from home simply because you don't have the distractions at work. And um, My wife had had to go back to work um, last week or the week before um, after all this sort of long break and then um, yeah it's, it's, there's a lot of chit chat there a lot of things that um uh, she's actually less productive now than she was working from home mm. uh, yeah
0: this. i mean I, I think i think for, for a lot of people they want a bit of both they want to have the option and and you know people seem to miss those water cooler chats you know in the office you know if you, i remember when i used to work you know as part of a team in an office if there was something that one of us maybe needed a bit of clarification on it's like oh can i just pick your brains for a moment and mm-hmm. you know you'd be able to reach out to someone else whereas when you're at home you don't really have that that benefit and yeah. and also as well you know I've, I've written a few articles on this there is definitely such thing as zoom fatigue um i find that if i'm sat in front of you know if i'm doing a zoom call for an hour i'm much more tired after an hour of being on Zoom, than I am if I was sat in a in a meeting room with other people. Um, yeah, I agree. I think it's maybe yeah. because you're you're looking at a screen and you're concentrating more and being you know you you are there you're present. It's 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 a difficult one, but I you know again I had to learn how to readjust to this kind of way like everybody else at the start of lockdown. Um, and, and some of the mistakes I made was forgetting to put buffers in my calendar when I was scheduling in calls. And I'd have like someone booking in at three till four, and then someone else four till five, and then five till six. And what I should have done is put a, like a 15 minute or 30 minute buffer in, because then you find you're on three hours of Zooms back to back with different people. And, and that was too much.
1: And no break. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, what can I then make a controversial suggestion here for people? Um, uh, you know, if, if you feel like everything is blending into one and you miss the water cooler calls and everything, pick up the telephone. Really, That's what I'm yeah. saying to, to start. I know it's a bit old-fashioned, but it, it does really help a lot of things forward. Sometimes I've got this... Um, I'm team leader as well as part time for my role as helping mm-hmm. victims of crime. And um, sometimes you got all these emails flying around. Just pick up the telephone, speak to people.
0: Yeah.
1: Then that that saves about 20 emails for really. me. That's just my. Yeah, point.
0: you're right. You're right. And you know, not enough people do that anymore. At yeah.
1: All. Yeah. So something to think about. So let's change topic now. Um, male menopause. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's something that I know that you have been quite um, talking quite a lot about it recently. I'm quite intrigued. Um, As a lot of males, I guess, I I, I didn't know it was a concept, I didn't know it was a thing. Clearly it is, uh, based on what I've read, but I'll let you explain a little bit more about it. So what is male menopause? Should we, males, worry about it?
0: Not not as much as women. So I did, I did um, I think I did a live video a few days ago on this but mainly on the basis that men experience menopause too, but not so much from the fact that they get hot sweats and stuff like that. However, and I'll come on to that in a bit, because there is, a, there is a, a, a name for it, and it's called andropause. Now, some people will disagree with that and say that it's nothing like menopause. And that that is correct. The hormones are completely different. So when a man and a woman from about the age of 40 – we all start to have different hormones going on. So with men, you'll start to lose testosterone. And women, we lose our estrogen. Um, mm-hmm. And both have similar effects. So with a man losing their testosterone levels, you might find there's a muscle weakness. Um, you might put on more weight around your waist. Same as women with the lack of estrogen. Um, you can Your muscles get weaker. Your bones become um. You know, uh, brittler. Um and you, more, more and more women put on um, put on weight around their waist area. This seems to congregate there. And there are things you can do, and I won't go into all of that here. There's a lot of things that both men and women can do. In fact, sometimes for, for men it's easier because they'll you, you'll just get some testosterone tablets or a shot um, that can normally just balance it back out. Um, and it's easy to, easier to get that on the NHS at the moment. But my main my main thing about men experiencing menopause is, so I went through early menopause two years ago um, when I had cancer, and I had to have a total abdominal hysterectomy. And it, it hit me at the time like a ton of bricks. Um, it was only then that I'd realized that actually those last sort of, that last year of my employment as a lawyer, I was experiencing perimenopause and that perimenopause seems to be when you get most of your symptoms so every woman is different and the symptoms can vary there's there's something like 60 different symptoms but the most common ones are things like hot flushes um, mood swings um, you, you for a woman your periods just either stop or go all over the place or they can be really heavy or whatever you know it's not nice um, brain fog and weight gain around the waist. So those are kind of the, the, the big ones. There's lots of others as well. Um, and that last year that I was working as a lawyer, I just thought I was losing my mind. I'd be halfway through a conversation with a client and i completely forget what I was talking about. And I was even, I remember one day driving, I used to, because after my cycling accident, I didn't cycle into work anymore. But I, I would drive to the park and ride and get the park and ride in halfway and then and then jog in the rest. The park and ride was some somewhere where I knew where it was. And the amount of times that I'd have to stop and pull over to the side of the road because I'd forget where I was going. And I'm like, huh? I find myself going up the M5 to the next junction sometimes. I'm like, what on earth am I doing? Um, but I think the most embarrassing one was when I was with my daughter and I was picking up a prescription from the, the pharmacy um and when the pharmacist asked me what my address was, I couldn't remember where, where I lived. I knew where I lived, but I had no idea what extreme. the address was. It was just a complete mental brain fog, and I got yeah. quite distressed about that. And I had to ask my daughter, who was then eight, what our address was. Um, and I just couldn't wait to get out of there. Um and I've now spoken to a lot of women who have felt the same. And the average age for, for menopause is 51, mm-hmm. all right? I was, I was a bit younger because of my, my cancer, but the average age for a female CEO is 55 in the UK. And it seems that there's only 6% of women in the UK who are CEOs. And from a lot of women that I've spoken to and interviewed, it seems that just as they're about to step up the ladder in their career their body starts to betray them you know whether it's running outside to wait out a hot flush um skipping meetings because you you know you've, you're feeling like you're not quite with it today and that really can have a knock-on effect on your confidence and so many women are not going for those promotions because they're feeling like they're they're you know they're not good enough for that they don't understand what's going on with their body um but from a male perspective You know, when I think about it, I took those mood swings out on my husband because he was the closest one to me. Um, He didn't deserve some of that. Um, And then after I went through the menopause two years ago, within a couple of days, I started to get these hot flushes. And it would be this was like in the middle of winter. And it would be freezing cold outside. And I'd have to get him to have the patio doors open. Um, he's there with a blanket up to here, freezing. And I'm there going, oh, my God, I'm so hot. Um, and I, I didn't know what, what was going on. They'd only last for a few minutes, then they'd ease off. And um, a few, within a few months, despite being you know, very fit and teaching lots of um, spin classes every week, I was, I'd put on about a dress size around my waist. And I couldn't get my jeans done up. This is before the whole lockdown stuff, so you know I couldn't blame it on lockdown. Um, and it, I, it got me down. I was like, why am I putting on weight? So, and then the, the the other big one for me is I completely lost my libido. You know, I wasn't interested in in anything at all, and I didn't understand why. And of course, then from from my husband's point of view, he's like, well, what's the matter? You know, what have I done? Do you not fancy me anymore? And and stuff. And I was having similar conversations with male clients around a similar age whose partners or wives were going through the same sort of thing. And, you know, they'd be like, well, you know, I feel really insecure because what have I done? Why doesn't my partner fancy me anymore? Have I put on weight? Have I gone grey? Whatever. And I'm like, actually, it's probably nothing to do with you. It's it's understanding, talking about it, Um, raising awareness, you know, from, again, how many women, if they had a male boss, would feel comfortable saying, I need to take a few more breaks today and work because I've got a really heavy period. Probably mm-hmm. not.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: Well, it's just about normalizing it. But what yeah. I've done over the past year and a half, if not longer, I've so I'd already done a qualification in um, advanced nutrition and weight management. And I went back to it and did a, um, an extra level, which focused on, and they call it older age nutrition. That's the 40-plus, right? I don't see that as being old at all. Um, And it was knowing what exercises to do, what sort of food that we need to be eating um, without being on a diet. So I've now put together sort of recipes, nutrition tips to help with, um, with gut health, on how to get your waistline down, how to improve your bone density, your muscles, Combine them with a really good strength training program. So without having to do too much cardio, you need to be lifting weights, both men and women, when you're over 40. Um, and that has helped me to get my figure back to being what I want. But also to, in my words, have a joyful menopause. I don't have any symptoms anymore. By just tweaking a few things in my, in my diet, um, my exercise plan. And complete. I feel like I'm 18 year, years old again. There's no reason why a man or a woman should dread this stage in their life. It's just mm-hmm. a natural transition that people go through, and we just need to get people talking about it.
1: And I think what you're saying, and I asked yesterday a question in this um, in this group about sort of what do you think of a midlife crisis? Is that really a thing? I think it's often sort of they talking yeah. about that sort of thing, isn't when people talk about midlife crisis, all these physiological changes to the bodies that we cannot interpret in any other way than thinking that we have some sort of midlife crisis. But actually, this is is perhaps some you know, some normal physiological reactions going in the body that we kind of need to understand.
0: I don't like these labels, you know, the other day we had a, there was a day and it was called hump day. And I think if you, if you label something, something negative, then that goes into people's minds, you know, like in January, the third January of, uh, the third Monday of each January is classed as blue Monday. So, you know, because, you know, we have shorter shorter days, people's credit card statements coming in after Christmas. That was a
1: marketing trick, that one, but that was literally invented well, by a company to make money.
0: It, yeah. And I mean, I know people that as soon as the clocks go back in October, they, and I'm not saying this is not a real condition, but part of it is like it's waiting for it to happen. They call it sad, seasonal effect. Oh, yes,
1: yes. That comes every yeah. year, doesn't it? The sad. Yeah.
0: Yes. but. You you know you don't have to feel like that. If you tell yourself that you're going to have seasonal affective disorder, then you will have it probably. Um, and this you know this goes back to you know what what you were just saying. Um, it is a mindset, and you have a choice as a as a person. Um, and for me, every day is is now you know the same, and I make the most of every single day. And you don't have to have. A hub day you can choose to have a good day and some days will be better than other days and that's fine that's just life
1: mm, absolutely yes and i fully agree with you brilliant so let us um, move on to a different topic then sean and and that of and um, perhaps you can combine the two like sort of uh, public speaking which i know you're doing and book writing so those are kind of public activities are they so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just really curious more about sort of what compels someone to go out there for instance to tell your story to tens of hundreds of people that you are, uh, that you presumably never met before, or to write a book, because I, I read sort of one of the books that you were involved with. I know there's a second mm. book coming, isn't it? So the one I read was The Girls Who Refused to Quit, and that's your story among some other really wonderful inspirational yeah. stories of um, other women. So I'm just curious what drives someone to, to write a book, to go out there and, and speak publicly.
0: Yeah, well, I didn't write my book for a long time because I thought, who the hell would want to read a story about me? I'm, I'm just a normal person. I'm nothing special. And then I kind of thought, thought about it for a while and thought, well, I wish I'd had a book like this to read ten years ago when I was really struggling. Um, and there wasn't really anything that I was aware of out there. You know, there were lots of books by celebrities. There always will be, um, but. To try to relate to their situation, you know, when you're not a millionaire, when you don't have a nanny, when you can't just fly off to another country. You know, I think at the time when I was really struggling, I read a book by Katie Price, I think it was. And I'm not saying that she didn't struggle when she divorced Peter Andre and she had a couple of kids, three kids or whatever. But, you know, she was there writing in a book about how she was really going to struggle because she had to go to the Caribbean with the kids on her own and the nanny. Well, I, I would have liked a, a night away in a tent in Western Supermare at the time, but I couldn't do it. So when I did write my story, I basically wrote it for someone who was just like me, but just a few steps behind. And, and the people I work with now, a lot of the clients who come to me are just like that. You know, I recently worked with a, with a lady who's a fabulous, fabulous person. Um, she's a solicitor. And she was struggling with burnout in the current job that she was in and had no time for herself. She'd lost her self-esteem. And she did my signature program with me. And halfway through it, she got another job. But at the start, there was no way she would have thought about that. She had no confidence to go for like an interview or anything. So we worked on all that stuff with building her confidence and did some role play stuff together together. Um and now she's like a completely different person. she's back to being bubbly and happy, and she's got time for herself, still working in the same um in the same career. This is what I mean about not having to change your career. It's not always that that black and white, but she had to get out of the place she was she was in because it was toxic, and nothing she did was gonna change that um so when you when you don't have that control you've you've got to be able to do something else, and there is always something you can do. But, you know, I was able to res- resonate with her a lot and see myself in her. And this is where it came with the book as well. Um, and, and the same with my with my second book that's coming out in about a month's time. Um, it's more a book about resilience and strength and showing people that you can, you know, you can either be bitter or better. You can be a warrior or a worrier. You can give up or get up. Um you have a choice. And it's knowing how to interrupt those cycles of overwhelm, etc. Um, and that's kind of what I share. So, yes, I share my story. I share, you know, many years of what things have happened to me because, bloody hell, you could write, a, not just write a book on it, you could probably make a, a really good movie on it. So, anyone out there who wants a, a good movie, I know who I <laughs> want to
1: call. We have a few artists here in this group, so get in touch with Sean you um <laughs>
0: Yeah, I I think it'd be a great movie, you know, it's one of those ones. If you've ever seen the movie Final Destination, my life's a little bit like that, although death hasn't caught up with me yet, and I don't intend it to for a long time. But I've literally nearly died about – I'm on about seven at the moment, so I'm not quite a cat, but I must have been a cat in a past life. But I laugh about it. You know, I can laugh about what's happened now because all of those things – have made me into the person I am. They've made me stronger, but I've chosen to do that, and that's the important thing.
1: Yes, yeah, it's about choice, and I fully agree with you. It, everything is about choice, and if, even things that are happening to us. Sometimes people say, "Yeah, but what about this thing happened, and I have no control?" Yeah, but the control is in how you respond to the things that are happening. Not so much in the things that are happening, but what are you doing with them? And that's what makes yeah. a difference, doesn't it?
0: and i think focusing your energy on the things you can control rather than the things you can't that's the important thing yeah. you know I, I when i'm out walking the dog every day i hear people having conversations about you know the numbers rising with covid and us going back into another lockdown all this stuff well you know these are all what ifs and none of us know what's going to happen no. none of us really have control over what the government does etc but you can control what you're going to do right now you can control your behavior towards it Um, and that's my view on it anyway
1: yeah absolutely and then by focusing on the now you just kind of uh, you know you just don't get into this whole thinking worrying about the future or bringing the past into it and there's another mistake that people make sometimes and they they think that the past causes the, the present and the future because Something happened in the past. Therefore, in a similar circumstance, the same thing will happen again. That's not necessarily the case, because yeah. you know you have the choice, like you say. So that's a, that's something that I'm quite passionate about telling people. Yeah,
0: and I, and I think like for me as well. one of the one of the most empowering things I think I was able to do, um, and something I learned when I did all my NLP training actually was letting go, because I still had. Three people in my life that I'd felt had wronged me, hurt me in some way. And I couldn't let go of that. Every time I thought about either one of those three people, I'd end up feeling anxious, stressed, frustrated, angry, all the negative emotions. And as soon as I learned how to just let that go, you know, swoosh it away, not let them come into my mind, or if they did, let them tell them to go away, you know, because they're not welcome. That weight off my shoulders, realising that they can't hurt me anymore, and going back to that 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 statement of being bitter or better, I have a choice to be better rather than being bitter about it. Um, and then just little things as well, like um, eliminating the negative things in your life. So I hardly ever watch the news anymore. You know, I still seem to know what's going on most of the time, but I find the news is yeah, so negative.
1: That's the thing, isn't it? You, you kind of, you know the news and there's no point... Trying to actively follow and you, get into prison because not you're not gonna anyway.
0: Anyway. <laughs> you know, apart from when when um you know that fabulous 18-year-old won the tennis last week, that's the only positive thing I've seen, like in, in a news bulletin, but it's always negative. So that doesn't help. Yeah. Um, you know, staying away from if I if something's bothering me on social media, well the best thing to do is just remove it, you know, delete it, don't go into it, delete unsubscribe from emails that pop into your inbox which you're never going to read and they just waste your time. Um, and also toxic people. You know, the, if there's people in your life that are making you feel like you're not good enough, um, and it's not always an easy thing to do, but just stay away from them. Or if it, if you can't because maybe they're a family member, then just don't talk about those things that you know are going to lead to you feeling not good enough again. So that's, that's the important stuff.
1: Yeah, I fully agree with that. Okay. So, uh, I mean, like many people in the self-development realms, um, uh, Shona, you're doing quite a lot of things. So you're doing some coaching. You've know, you you've spoke about nutrition as well, physical exercise, public speaking, uh, writing of books. Is there anything that unites all these things together? I mean, if I was to ask you to tell me in one sentence what you do, what would you respond?
0: To? Well, For me, physical and mental health go hand in hand. So you know, I now I run my own gym, and I'm there sort of half the day, and then the other half is is helping helping midlife executives recover and avoid burnout. Um, so I I I mean, yeah, I guess I call myself the burnout queen, I suppose, um, or burnout master. What a, I've never really thought about it as a title, but. The best thing I did to recover from from burnout was to do something physical, start moving. You know, not everyone has time to go and do a full hours workout, but you can still go and move. You can get up from your desk and you can move around for five minutes, go for a walk for five minutes. There's always things you can do. And that is the thing which will, you know, that releases those happy hormones that you've got. And it's good for you as well. So it keeps you fit and healthy. It all goes hand in hand. Yeah.
1: And it's also how you do things sometimes, isn't it? Because sometimes, like you said, people think of physical exercise, all oh, this hassle and the hours in the gym. But sometimes it's about when you go out to the uh, to your shop to buy something, you go at a faster pace. So you can actually sure. yeah. do a bit of an exercise. You know, so you can actually just by doing th- the, by changing the way you do things, you can actually create more exercise and more movement and more energy. Anyway, well,
0: I'll, I'll show you a quick demo. Actually, I'll get, I'm just I'm right. I'll, go grab, I'll grab a straw and I've got my I've got my bottle of water here. Right? I'm going to yeah. show you something which I I, I so I worked with this on with people in my I've got a couple of Facebook groups. One of them is is just called the Joyful Menopause, and that quite a lot of the women in that group had said to me, "I don't have time to do any exercise. I don't have time to even go out." And I'm thinking, right, again, this is a choice. But there's things you can do when you're just boiling the kettle, right? And this, I'll show you how to do it. I'm going to grab a straw. So what do you do? I'm going to do it in front of me now while I'm on my desk. So I'm going to pop this, um, this straw in my bottle here. It's probably a bit bigger. I'd normally use a glass. And while you're waiting for the kettle to boil, you're going to come down, you're going to do some press-ups, and you're going to take a swig of your water. All right. So you do that until that bottle of water or that pint of water is finished. That way you're doing exercises, but you're also getting in the water that you need as well, because that's the other thing. A lot of people say they don't drink enough fluids. Um, And I've had women post in the group, you know, videos of themselves doing this several times a day. And by the time the kettle's boiled, you can knock out 20 press-ups.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> so little things like that or and two
1: birds you know, in the stone as well, like you say, like drinking water and doing exercise at once. Brilliant.
0: Yeah. 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 It's it's just knowing how to adapt. Um, you know, there was I had a client last year who um, before lockdown, he was working in an office or a place about 12 miles away, and he was cycling to work every day. Um, and then Because he had to then work from home, he found that he put on weight and he wasn't getting out and all this stuff, but you were still allowed to go out and do your exercise every day. So I just just said to him, I said, well, why don't you then still get up at the same time as you would have been getting up for work, go out for a 10-mile, 12-mile bike ride? Technically, you're leaving the house and coming back to the office. It's just a different route. And I said, you can do that. And to me, that was that was quite you know quite obvious. Mm-hmm. But it's getting people to think for themselves. And if he wanted to, he could do it again at the end of the day. And I caught up with him a few months later, and he'd like lost about two stone, and he looked he was happy, um, and that was great. You know, I just thought brilliant. It's just knowing how to do it, and and sometimes you need a bit of help for somebody to push you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm a big fan of um, James Clear and his book, Atomic Habits. I'm sure mm. it's one of the books that you're yeah. familiar What you describe now is a, the sort of stacking habits, what he calls isn't it, sort of, if you sort of make, that's a habit every time you put the uh, kettle on, in the meanwhile you do the push-ups and, and you drink sort of your water from a straw, that kind of becomes a habit, Isn't it? you almost don't think about it, you do it automatically. And that's how habits are created, good habits, such as drinking water, doing exercise, and all you have to do is stack it to, to an existing habit, which is like every, every X number of hours I put the kettle on, so I might as well do this while I put the yeah. kettle on, and then I create a new positive habit while I'm, while I'm at it, which I think is a great way of doing things.
0: Yeah, definitely. You know, anything else is normally just an excuse, um, and I just think, you know, if you're – you've got to be in the right place to want to do something, you know. People will say to me all the time, oh God, I've put on so much weight, I can't fit into my jeans. And I I just say, ask them a question, what are you going to do about that? Or do you want to do something about that? So it puts the ball back in their court. I'm not going to say to someone, all right, you've got to go and do a 10-mile run. Or you've got to go and do a weights workout. You've got to work out what it is that you enjoy doing. There's no point doing something you don't like because you won't stick at it. Um, but sometimes people just need that bit of motivation. They need that accountability. And that's where I help. So, you know, yes, I, I, I wear a few hats, but they all end up coming back to the same thing. So, you know, I now do all the things that I love doing. Um, and for me, a Monday morning is a pleasure. I love getting up on Monday mornings. I'm excited about what I've got on that day. Um, and that's a nice place to be.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Well, Shona, that was very inspirational. So thank you very much for being here today on your uh, weekend, because I know how precious it is that for you. So it's doubly appreciated. And if people want to follow your sort of various activities, where's the best place for them to find you online?
0: Um, Most most of the stuff I do is in my Facebook group. So I've got two groups. One's called Streamline for Success, okay, cool. um, which is that's, that's cool. quite a big group. And that's that tends to be full of... People kind of around about sort of 30 plus um, who maybe are struggling with time management or whatever it is in their life's burnout. And then my other group is solely for women, generally over 40, who are perimenopausal or menopausal, who want to have a joyful menopause. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn and I have got a website as well. So my business is called Mindset in Motion.
1: Right, brilliant. Okay, so that uh, that's where people can find you online. So thank you so much, uh, Shona. Thank you very much. I'm going to end the broadcast now.
0: Thanks, Costas.
1: You were listening to the How Did They Do It podcast with Costas Panagiotou. Should you have a story you would like to share about how you found your own freedom and clarity of purpose, then please email me at coach at gmail.com. Likewise, you can follow me on causesthecause.com website for weekly articles helping and
0: inspiring entrepreneurs to find accountability, freedom and purpose in their lives.